For the first time in 16 years, the Writers Guild of America has instituted a strike, meaning that gilded writers, uh, producers, anybody who, um, well, primarily writers um, and writer producers, people that are hybrids, uh, are not allowed to work on their projects that are being done for Hollywood. Um, and we don't know how long this will last. We don't know exactly how this is going to affect everything that we love. Uh, they're asking for, you know, fair wages. We're going to break down <laughs> the wage issue uh, for writers. Um, but there's a wage issue. There's an issue with AI. There's an issue with residuals from streaming. All stuff. That hasn't been resolved. The world has changed a lot since 2008. Uh, the last writer's strike, I believe, lasted 100 days. Um, and from late 2007 to early 2008. And the world has changed a lot. They didn't even get everything they wanted then. So here we are, 2023, and we have yet another writer's strike. We're going to talk about how this is going to affect comics, right? So like core comics which it did back then, even though writers, comic book writers are unaffected because they're not unionized, unfortunately. But uh, it affected them back then. It will affect comics now. But also, how is it going to affect comic book movies and television shows? We have a lot to say about all of that. So hopefully uh, you guys enjoy it. We're excited. You guys are here, uh, a part of the show today. Welcome. Thank you for being here. We have a full house. We have Kale. What's up, hot dogs? Marco. Air Tyler, dip, 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 well, Tyler is uh, uh, with us live from a comic book shop. Is Midtown that, Comics, not, yeah, it is, okay, Midtown it is Comics. Midtown. Yeah. Uh, Midtown, Tyler, nice, yeah, yeah. Right. The guy behind me is really standing still. I don't know how he's doing it, but yeah, you know. really into that book. What cover is that? Uh, staring, what just it looks like he's looking at a very specific book. I, yeah. I can't out. figure out what it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I can't tell. He's, he's just um, trying to just for, the shop, for yeah. reference, this picture has uh, what what True Blood comics. So it's been a while that this picture was. Oh yeah, there's an there's an AVX over in the corner. Oh yep. <laughs> oh wow, that is that is. <laughs> the, 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 the cat oh, and they let my cat in. Unreal. Yeah. They'll let anybody in Midtown. That place yeah, stinks. <laughs> 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 All right, so let's let's talk about it. So, again, we have a strike. Um, there are picket lines and, you know, um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, protesting going on. Mm -hmm. L.A., New York, real hot spots for, for writers. Um, writers are no longer allowed to work out of um, uh, buildings that are being... You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like the studio's buildings, anything yeah, that's yeah. owned by the company you're working for. Right. So you, no more no working out of Warner Brothers Studios or, uh, you know, Disney, wherever writers work for from Disney. All of that Space is Mountain, done. I believe. Sorry? They work from Space Mountain, I believe. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Them, Ric Flair. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they're not allowed to do that. Um we saw last strike, right, that things got weird, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Season two of Heroes, bad. <laughs> I was going to get into that. <laughs> it only lasted 100 days, but several shows were decimated by the strike. If you were young back then, like too young to really be paying attention or whatever, you're just What year was it, John? You said 16 years ago, but I'm bad at math. Yeah, so uh, it was 2007 to okay. 2008, or er, late it. 2007, early Right when I was in high school. Yep. Um, and so if you weren't really paying much attention, then you might not have noticed. But as Marco pointed out, a show like Heroes, ravaged by the writer strike, uh, Lost is another one that was decimated. Oh, that's right. Um, never, well, in some people's opinions, never recovered. But <laughs> what season um, of Lost was that? I. Ah, was it? Yeah, I was going to say four. Yeah, I was going to say four. four. Mm. So that that sounds right. Three is like the best one. Yeah. So um, shows got really, really annihilated by the writer's strike. Um, Having to like come up with stuff on the fly, you know, with no actual writers able to work on it. Um, And and it was a disaster. It was a a real disaster. But I want to say before we really dive into the conversation. There will be shows, there will be movies that are hurt by this, just like there were before. That's okay. That's how it has to be. This is happening. Marco disagrees. I'm glad. This is happening because we live in a new world where these studios are making so, so, so much money. Unbelievable amounts of money. And yet the people who are the responsible for the money, because you can't, what what are you going to do? How can you make Iron Man 4 with no script? Right? You can't. Someone can come up with something. With no script, though. (laughs) Someone can come up with something, but it's not going to be high quality. Right? Um, So the people that are writing the script deserve fair compensation. How come they can't get residual proper residuals off streaming? You know, that's ridiculous. So up front, that's how I feel. These people deserve to be paid. And if our movies and television shows have to suffer for that, well, then pay up. Hurry up. Yeah, I think Kale and I, having both gone to school or are going to school for writing, uh, kind of with you, Sean. I've been to school for writing three times. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what Marco thinks is going to happen here, but whatever. He's digging his own grave. I'm being facetious. He's playing devil's asshole. That's that's what it's called, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Feels good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And so if you don't understand the problem, uh, TV writers, TV staff writers earn less in some cases than comic book writers do. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Brubaker posted in his newsletter, uh, quote, in case you have no idea what's going on in the world of TV and film, the studios and the streaming explosion moved from doing pilots and launching shows 
to running small rooms to generate an entire season and paying everyone crappy fees and some rooms going on as little as four weeks. While a lot of this doesn't affect someone like me because I'm not a young staffer trying to start a career, it's an untenable situation for the industry at this point. People assume everyone working in film or TV are millionaires, but sadly this is not true. Most moderately successful comics writers earn more than the average TV staffer makes, and that staffer works much longer hours under much more stress. I know I've done both gigs at the same time. Keep this in mind. This is so important, so important to say. When you look at Lost, when you look at really any show from that era of television and then the era of television that we're in now, that's a non-streaming show, look at the difference. You had Lost, which had 22 episode seasons. So what does that mean? That means that every single week, Those writers are being paid to work on Lost every week until – go ahead, Kale. Sorry, 22-hour-long episode seasons, too, not just – this isn't a half-hour bullshit. It's not a half-hour. It's not a variable amount of time. It's a set amount of hours that the show uh, is on the air, and you have to write those episodes with those writers' rooms full of people that are talented and vibrant and being paid. Now you have what they refer to as mini rooms, which are small groups of people who are working on these shows, and then they come up with all these ideas in a blitz, and then they get whoever to write, quote-unquote, the actual episode that goes out. These seasons are half as long in some cases, sometimes even less than half as long, and they're basically getting as close as they can to scabs. So not only do writers not have the opportunity to really learn what it's like to be a part of a real writer's room and have to bring a show to life um, week over week and, and go through that and be tested, forged under fire. Instead of that, they're getting paid scraps to make the next Stranger Things possible. It's a joke. And they're not even getting paid well to do it. I I not realize that they you don't get – and I guess that makes sense because streaming wasn't a thing before, but like – to not get paid out on those things is wild because that is that is the way that that market has shifted and especially even over like the pandemic that was the only thing that was going on um if there was any tv at all mm-hmm. so the fact that you don't or cannot get paid off of that is uh yeah just extremely unfair yeah. even some of those other those shows that do run you know longer seasons you know like uh, sitcoms, um, even those writers are not getting paid well because a lot of the rewatchability from that comes from streaming. Mm, yep. You think about The Office, you know, people subscribe to uh, Peacock for The Office. Um, and if that, that just wasn't in their contract when they were writing. So like, because it didn't exist before, we're not going to, you know, deal with it now. We're not going to rewrite that to give me more money. So on I- top of that, there are writers who do have, uh, I believe it's a 5% um, uh, residuals on streaming, but the services have a game they play, yeah. uh, which, you know, that's how business goes, where they report a loss on everything. So because they're reporting a loss, the residuals never come in. Oh, damn. So even the meager amounts that some of the writers would get, 
they're not even getting. Damn, that's fucked that they play into their own inefficiency. Capitalism, baby. Yeah, that shit's in the Constitution. <laughs> Do not pay a writer. The the definition of a business literally is like, uh, well, okay, not literally is the definition of a business is it contains the phrase must make profit. These days, yeah, no, period. Like that's enshrined. And then, uh, like, and, I just I just looked at you know, uh, good good old friend uh, David Saslav. Uh, how, how much do you think he was paid last year? Money. Uh, if I had to, if I had to guess, like a hundred fifty million dollars. Just his exec <laughs> comp package was thirty nine point three million. Okay. Mm, yeah. Well, he deserves more, frankly. He needs those extra yachts. Yeah, he, he can't he can't afford the fiftieth without that. Yeah, I just love how uh, I don't love I hate it, um, but somebody like this can just coast off of the creative ideas of hundreds that is what generates this dude money. And this guy can have more money than you can even do anything with. His money is probably not being used for anything important. To be fair, uh, all his money actually came from throwing out all the stuff that people made. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I was going to say, I was going to say like your point is well taken, but Zaslav's not a tremendous example because he came from uh, Discovery, which doesn't really do scripted television, which explains why he doesn't care about any of this shit. Because for him, you know, sure, yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. But but he, yeah, in the case of something like Disney, Mister mm, Iger, it's more egregious. And we should talk about Disney right now. I think because Disney is once again in the news as it relate now as it relates to this. For something very bad. Why? Because now studios are demanding, not asking politely, but demanding that people who are um, writer, produ- writer producers or showrunner producers, people yep. who have those dual skills, that they come to work. Yep. Ooh. And that they do that even if it means that they might get um, you know, admonished or fined or yep. whatever. By the Writers Guild. And so I'll go to the Hollywood Reporter article that actually contains the letters that are being sent out. So uh, this one, there's there's two letters that they have. One comes from ABC and the other actually does come from the aforementioned um, WB Discovery, although that one's a little different. But we'll, we'll tackle the Disney one first. Um, and so this is what it says. It is unfortunate that we find ourselves in the position of a strike by the Writers Guild of America enclosed in some information which we hope will be informative in an effort to answer questions that you and other WGF members working for ABC have been asking. We want to specifically reiterate to you as a showrunner or other writer producer that you are not excused from performing your duties as a showrunner and or producer on your series as a result of the WGA strike. Your personal services agreement with the studio requires that you perform your showrunner and or producing duties, even if the WGA attempts to fine you for performing such services during the strike. Your duties as a showrunner and or producer are not excused, suspended, or terminated until and unless you are so notified by the studio. This comes from Bob Bob McPhail. 
This is a big fucking fail, Bob. It, uh, it, in, in nine times out of ten, those roles that aren't writers' roles um, require writing. <laughs> of yeah. course they do. Yeah. They're sp- it, he's specifically yeah. calling out writer yeah. producer, writer yeah. showrunner. They want you to write. You need to make edits on set. You know, like if you're like, allowed. Hey, they're forcing people to scab, essentially. Yeah. They also included a Q&A about the strike that only reinforces all of the ways that the WGA cannot prevent you from working, which is obvious. That's the, that's obvious. We know that. The, the writers are choosing not to work because of this, of the conditions. Obviously, they can. That's what a strike is. So Disney just comes out looking like shit. And you know what? You know what? It's kind of hard to blame them because they've got a whole host of Disney Plus shows that have pretty much sucked since the start that they need to shore up, right? And they've got some coming down the pike that really have to be good. They really, really do. So they don't want this at all. They've got Blade a movie that has been in development hell for years now is just, just found its writer just found its writer. I think it was last week and it's halted. Yep. It's shut down due to the writer's strike. You think Marvel wants this shit? I can't handle this. And MP in the YouTube chat says, uh, talk about a tone deaf response from Disney. I don't think it's tone deaf at all. No, this, this tracks. Yeah, they know, yeah, they know exactly what yeah. tone they're taking. Yeah, they, they they took forever to even do anything with uh, uh the the union for Disney uh cast members for like the parks. Um, it wasn't until Iger came back that he you know extended a, you know an olive branch and you know resolved that. Um, but yeah, it, it, Sean, didn't they also announce that uh I think like yesterday that uh, uh Disney plans to begin filming on Fantastic Four by the end of this year. Yes, they did announce that. They, well, and that that's not unreasonable because that's a long time from now. But um, Thunderbolts and oh. Deadpool 3 are going to start filming uh, very soon, independent of the strike. They don't care. And my thing is, hey, if you have a script that you're that confident in, sure, go ahead. But as anybody who knows anything about movie making knows, most of the time, the script you start filming with is not the one you finish with. So what's going to happen then? I hope your actors like improv. <laughs> and? yeah, Can't wait for that. Can't wait for that. Can't wait to see how good Thunderbolts and uh, how good Thunderbolts is when all those actors have to start improving their lines. And I know uh, Amazon's Rings of Power season two is also filming without writers. Right. Jeez. Which good luck with that. <laughs> we'll see how good Ryan Reynolds is, how funny he is when he doesn't have somebody feeding him lines. We'll see about that. Hey, he's got a he's got a, a, a football team and, and, a, and a phone company to run at the same time. So he's a little busy. Doesn't he have his yeah. gin company as well? Oh, yeah. True. Yeah. Aviation. Pretty good, actually. It is. Well, and his fake relationship. I mean, <laughs> Blake Lively. Yeah, there's no way that's that's love, dude. It's manufactured. That means I still got a chance. That's what I'm saying. 
And and if somehow you're unconvinced that writers are treated unfairly, because you know, on this podcast and a lot of the discourse in general um is and, and, and it's comics focused, is about artists and it's about how artists are mistreated, and no one is gonna dispute that. But writers really do get the short end of the stick in a lot of situations. And and this is one of them. Here's an example. Um, so Michael Waldron is the writer of the movie uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Okay. And a lot of people do not like the script on that movie. I think that movie sucks. I did not like that movie. And uh, uh, Zochtil, I forgot how to say her name. The the woman who played America Chavez, uh, Miss Gomez. I'm sorry, I I apologize. Um, she is quoted as having responded to some of the criticism that Waldron received, and she said, "Y'all need to stop hating on Michael Waldron. They asked for 33 rewrites. None of it is up to him. 33 rewrites." That's OD. How much do you think he got paid? Thirty three. Listen, he's blessed, blessed to have gotten to work on Doctor Strange. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's he should be happy that he has the job. Even if you got paid, even if you got paid for every single one of those rewrites, your life is stalled because all you get to do is write Doctor Strange. You're buried in thoughts and and rewrites and constant fixing studio notes 33 times. Who wants to? One time you get studio notes, you don't want to deal with that shit. 33 times? Do you even have new ideas after the after 15 of the, those rewrites? You know how hard it is to write a script for a movie? Well, especially, yeah, especially these Marvel ones where, yeah. you know, it's built by committee and yep. whatever the uh the effects people can do you know right <laughs> one of those rewrites was just reading uh writing out the word shumagorath uh, yeah. every, every <laughs> probably some truth to that yeah. you misspelled that actually so it's just a it's just a disaster um it's a disaster all the way around and one of the things that the uh that the argument is about one of the reasons why we got to this point is because of AI. No, no. So yeah. Up. So I'm going to refer back to Ed Brubaker here on this. So he said, quote, they want to have the option of using our writing to train AI software to write scripts, something that can't even be copyrighted. So that's a bit chilly. Imagine a future where an exec hands you a 10 page document generated by an AI program prompts, Outline for an international action film. Things blow up. No sex, please. And ask you to polish it at a low rate for a week. Fuck that idea forever and burn it to the ground. That's my position. Writers are already treated enough like jukeboxes in Hollywood, and we aren't. I'm not worried about AI writing anything with any meaning or humanity in it. But how many movies have meaning or humanity in the first place? And actors had better start worrying about AI if there aren't already. I saw Harrison Ford... This say this next one is the last Indiana Jones movie. And I was like, yeah, you wish they'll be putting your face on somebody else's body for a hundred years. This is not a future. Anyone should be welcoming even trolls, but many of them are already AI bots. So whatever. Oh, yeah. 
Damn, I feel called out. Brubaker with the fire. Yeah. It's horse shit. Yeah. I, like, Marco, this is what we're talking about. We, we <laughs> like, called this, what, only two months ago? Like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't think it's that bad. It's only, like, the, the exponential growth of AI <laughs> is unsettling, honestly. Un untenable. Untenable, unsettling, and that's the only that's only the stuff that is publicly available. You know, yeah. we mm. we only heard about it two months ago. Like, yeah. and and this is not even like advanced shit. Like, this is just a language model. So the fact yeah. that it'll get it'll continue to improve. Um, I I mean, <laughs> oh no, uh, I don't. <laughs> I'm of two thoughts, right? Of like this as. And iterative technology is incredible and fascinating. And I think that it will impact more and continue to, but there has to be a system to allow it to work, like to work with people. Because I think right now uh, the, the approach has been, it is going to replace people. And I think to the point that was brought up in that comment, you have to clean up a lot of the work. And so um, that's still a thing that writers will have to do. And I think you'll ultimately end up having to pay less for writers or need less writers because the tool helps out in, as does anything else in an advance of technology. Like uh, you didn't need as many camera people you needed more camera people back in the day, but as technology has improved, you need less and less, maybe less editors. Uh, the, the, the way that it helps production is interesting and valuable for the movies being made. However, that impacts the creators. So like, I don't know, it, it, it feels dirty either way. And I'm interested to just see how the technology helps. Like, I think replacing people is not helpful to those people, but it is helpful to the overall process and long-term vision of producing movies, producing TV. Uh, and I don't see that as inherently bad. Let me ask you a question. Ah. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> Twist just lit up from campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the side come through. I didn't even like, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into this episode. I'm going to be... I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try, it. and I'm gonna have a conversation. And Kefi said, "Nah, fuck that. <laughs> it's not a good tool. It just reiterates. It's, it's a, no, dude. It's it, it it's, it's interesting that you're able to use this model, right? To like, I think I think people are 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 realizing with this technology, we're valuing the shit that we say and the way that we that we humans think a lot more than we actually have been, or that we should be. Who who is humans? We really, should, we, sh we shouldn't value the things we say. Is no, that I think I think that th this is this technology is showing us that our use of language is not as incredible or unique as it has been. We're you you are using a model to be able to describe. God. <laughs> we're using a model to literally be able to talk to ourselves, right? And it has no world model. It only learns off of be it, it learns only off of combinations of words it does not actually have to exist or have perception of an outside existence to be able to produce that language well, it and needs context though it needs context and that's yeah. fair that's the context that we provide and provide direction but what i'm saying is 
like like my my dad recently used this for uh, for like uh, helping him generate a business model, like like to have uh, to outline a business model, which I think that's fine. I guess it, it that's where I can see it as a tool. That's like you know it's like Word or something like that. I think once you start using it to replace the creativity aspect and the human aspects of stuff, that's when you get into an issue. But why didn't he use somebody for that? I can, because it, it's the same reason why everyone else is using AI. It's easier and it's it's free. <laughs> I think I think that that is a very that's a very justifiable uh, use for AI. The framing the framing of something to give you an idea of what you personally need to do after the fact is one thing. Coming up with a business model, sure. What? How else would you learn that? You would go on YouTube and look it up. So it's not that dissimilar. But when you're talking about art, how does how does AI streamline the process, help the writer figure out how to tell a story? If you went to school, you don't need it. If you're relying on a tool, you're probably not very good. You're not going to get any better. And I don't see how that's I don't see how that's helpful as a, like as a storyteller. If you as the creator, as the artist are not sufficient enough to tell the story. Then you're probably probably I mean, you need to get good. But but then you're assuming that the person is using it to replace their own skill. If you provide it with good prompt, if you provide it with good detail, a good writer will use a tool, a good tool and will use it well. And the outcome should be better. Why do you, how do you know that? How do you know that the outcome is better with AI than the human brain? You're telling me Alan Moore needed AI to help him draft Watchmen. No, he sat the fuck down in front of his, 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 you know, typewriter and he got it done. That's what you do when you're talented, when you're shit, you use AI. And, and it's not even talent, right? It's work. Mm. Right, writing and creating isn't just a one-time thing. And I think that's that's a huge problem that people miss. Mm. Writing and good writing is rewriting and rewriting until it's perfect. And that's the problem with a with this perceived AI. And what it can do, and what people want it to do, you, you're gonna you're gonna farm out AI garbage, and then have people retool it. Why not just have the people do it? I, I mean, mean, yeah, costs. Yeah, it, it goes back to Tyler's point on cost saving, right? But <laughs> but you're gonna get a writer anyway. Yeah, but, but y'all don't need to get one in, that does a specific job as opposed to a room. I mean, right? We we know people. I don't want to, you know, out them on the show, but like we know people who have been replaced by AI and whole whole uh, uh, divisions of a company were replaced by AI and one person who then cleans up the AI, you know, just so editor, yeah, there's a, a, a distinct removal of whole sectors of jobs that is replaced by people who just read AI and humanize it a little better, which that's only now. Like, imagine when AI gets even better, where it don't, don't, you don't even need an editor at that point, where it can fully mimic a human thought or expression. Then the job's just gone. You don't need it anymore. Yeah, so I, I have two questions. What happens when... What happens to those people when those jobs are gone? Exactly, yeah. 
the, the Marco. What I, happens to those people when those jobs are gone? I don't have a good answer for that. You do you expect the, this government to come up with a universal basic income <laughs> that can can <laughs> I, then bolster the lack of jobs? No. N- nor nor do I believe that they will pay out for their replacement necessarily. Right. So no, I think that yeah. this will be an upheaval of the information sector of tech of anything writing. Like I I but I don't know what a good outcome for those individuals are going to be farming my (laughs) my second question is what to you marco because you're the one defending it yeah is the difference between art and content because that also is to me a big part of the conversation Mm, okay i see your point um art can be content but content does not necessarily have to be art content can be a bit more reproducible uh advertorial and i think i think that makes a difference but what what is that what does that ladder up to what's your your bigger point what's art my my bigger point is that a machine can only make content ah, we've had this discussion i disagree okay then what is art what's art. the difference between art and content if a machine can only reproduce mm. based on something a human has already done and has something that has been fed into it mm. then it's only making content i think if it's producing it without that human interaction i will grant you to me that that is not qualified as art but once a a a human touches the tool the output therein i think becomes that art unless the- so so un- unless it's unless it is automated and doing its own thing without a set set parameters I think it's just outputting, but once it interacts with that human, that makes it uh, that makes it that art piece. So, a human pressing See, the enter key is art. Hey, dude! Somebody, somebody gave it an idea. Somebody cleaned it up. Somebody made something using this tool. But that tool, that uh, that thing. That even if a human put it out, the machine is basing its output on things that have been fed into it. Jim Bartel's art, uh, Greg Capullo's art, Jordan Gibson's art, uh, 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 Brian Bendis's art, like X, X all the yeah right. So it's feeding off of other humans' art. It's not making its own content. Yeah, it lacks innovation. What you said, what you said before about it, if it were just churning out things, to me, that says more about art without the human interaction. That says more to me about art and the robot than having a human use the tool. All right. I'm going to jump in because I do want to shift the, the, the conversation, but I think we've got a couple of uh comments worth pointing out mp says art requires human expression art is human expression and aruboro snake says 
needs heavy regulation, can't take away people's jobs or else you are facilitating an entire generation of poverty. I think that that is something that people are not talking about enough. Yeah. Um, and it's going to happen. Like the, we just did a book club on Lazarus and that future is inevitable if we don't put roadblocks in place because we've already seen how advancements in technology can actually ravage society and force people out of jobs. We've lost, I mean, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs, factory jobs to automation, um, you know, industrialization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's it's a big deal. But th th this is that same wave, but it's not physical labor. It is it has entered the space of uh it has entered the space of to some degree that human expression and into the space of information technology, right? And so I I don't know. Do we do we ultimately looking back see the uh, like the farming revolution is a bad thing. I don't know. I think it helped free up labor at some point to be able to go and do other things. I don't know what those answers are, but it ultimately frees those people up to do other things. And I think that humans as a species and as a society have a capability to be able to do more and different things after this. Marco, are you delusional? <laughs> no, bro. I'm hopeful. What the fuck oh, are you I talking about, I'm Marco? You, no, 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 no. Stop. If... If you grew up on a farm your whole life mm. and your only dream in life is to run a farm and that's all you know how to do from when you were born until now. And then, you know, the Industrial Revolution comes and then big business comes and Monsanto comes. And now that job that you had, the only thing you know how to do is gone. What are you qualified for? What do you go on to do? Your life is ruined. If you're a writer today and that's what you've made your bones on, what the fuck are you going to go do? Be a janitor after this? Are you kidding me? There's no jobs. There are no jobs. We're seeing growth, quote unquote, with no jobs. Where do you think that goes? Come on, man. You're a smart guy. I think it opens up different sectors. That's all. To that... do what? <laughs> to, like, like one of the things that, that they, uh, the one government's trying to pass. So bad. Dude. The, like we're trying to pass regulation to be able to provide people who are working in like uh, fracking and oil to be able to start learning to work in green energies, right? Like green technologies, because we're trying to bolster those those movements. And like that, th those are things and programs that need to be put in place to help transition people. Like previously, we thought, okay, yeah, the industrial revolution, farmers are not going to have whatever job, right? But now we have the foresight to be able to say, a new some new set of industries being changed how do we prepare people or teach people to do something else and there are programs now that help address that so I, you're going to teach you're going to teach a farmer what you're saying based on sean's example you're going to teach a guy who learned farming his entire life you're going to go teach him genetic engineering so he can make food out of a out of a in a laboratory and you're in your example of, Please. you know, fossil fuels into green energy, it's the same sector, you know? Yeah. It's not eliminating a sector from ever even having jobs. So I don't even think that's an equivalent uh, comparison. Like, like it's vase says in the, in the chat. I mean, what were they telling the coal, the coal go miners? Go, go learn to code. No, they were saying you're poor now. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. luck. <laughs> All right. Look, so 
this this situation does have some impact on comics as well, which is what we're primarily here to talk about. Um, the, the the writer strike. Yes, the, yes, thank you. The right the writer strike. Uh, and in 2007, 2008, we saw an influx of writers who couldn't work during the writer strike at the time jump into comics and wanted to do you know their now they're now they want to make their comics debut um and it's happening again it's all it's already already begun um <laughs> which which I find to be hilarious it's not because it's not because um we don't want new writers coming into comics or anything like that it's because Comic books are not. It's not like, oh yeah, I write I write scripts for Hollywood, so writing a comic book script should be easy. You know, that's not that's not how this that's not how that works. Um, and so we're already seeing people asking. I've seen a lot of tweets from people saying, "Oh, I've got writers sliding into my DMs uh, who want to make comics now." Uh, they're looking for artists and 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 things like that, and so um, what happens then is oh wow hey here's this dude who wrote for Stranger Things as an example. Um, let's bring him on to do a, a DC horror book. Let's let's have him on Night Terrors. Obviously that's not possible, but just you know follow my follow my uh, example. And then because they did that, now um, now Leah Williams gets bumped. And now she has to go find another job because Bobby Hollywood now has a story to tell. And his stature coming from Hollywood is worth more than hers, even though she's been in the trenches in actual comics writing for however long her career has been. Zeb Wells, I know you're writing Spider Man, but we got uh, uh, we got JJ Abrams, Abrams kid son. here. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, it it's not I, I don't want to be gatekeepy because I know how that I know how that that is how what I'm saying comes across. But that's not what I mean. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a a, a, a line and Ram V tried to tweet something along those lines this week that I really disagreed with. Um, it was, you know, something something to that effect of like, I want to see everybody making comics. I don't want to you know, stop gatekeeping. I'm like, well. This is a little different. Like it's a lot more nuanced than that. I feel like it is. And Comic Boom, hey Comic Boom, how you doing? Says uh, Jimmy Palmiotti stated that he was removed off a comic and replaced by a striking writer during the last strike. I did read that. That's the type of stuff that it's not like my supposition that that's where that will go. It's not my theory. It's if the strike lasts long enough. Yeah. And and as I said, there are already people looking for jobs in comics. That will be an inevitability. It is an eventuality. Even if it's not as simple as Jimmy Palmiotti gets removed from a book, it could be, hey, um, uh, uh, Jeremy Adams wants to do his first uh, image book. But because, you know, Bobby Hollywood has an idea for an image book, now um, Jeremy Adams' book gets bumped off the slate or doesn't even get accepted as a pitch by Eric Stevenson because Bobby Hollywood's book needs to come out because he's got a bigger name. These are things that happen. So here's here's a couple of uh, of examples. So uh, Victoria Ying is a comic artist who said, quote, already getting emails from screenwriters 
looking for artists to do their graphic novels. This is not to say that screenwriters shouldn't get into comics, but please pay your artists fairly up front. Remember to give them their fair share of the IP rights. They will be bearing the brunt of the labor. It will take one year of full-time work to produce a graphic novel. Karen Green, who is a curator of comic books, noted, same thing happened during the strike 15 years ago. I don't think any of these projects reached the publication stage. Screenwriters learned fast that writing a comic book script, even if it looks like a TV or movie script, is a very different animal. Kelly Turnbull said, Oof, every artist I know supports writers, but in exchange, you got to be careful not to treat us like starter wise for your comic pitch that you wish was actually a TV series pitch. And I kind of feel like a lot of that bullshit started then. It, st- it, st- it started from that influx of, of writers and the idea of, oh, wait, yeah, let's just turn this into a into a pitch for an eventual movie. And, and, and it started happening almost immediately after where we started to see movies made in short succession from comic books that felt like they were made to be movies. It's it's almost like, all right, I have this idea, but I can't use it for the movie or t- TV sector right now. But I don't want to waste the idea. So how do I still make money off of this idea? Hmm. Well, I'll make a comic yeah. book out of it, you know? And if we... Go ahead, go ahead. And like, in theory, that's again, that's fine. Sure, but you know, the you have to respect the medium. Yeah, that that was gonna be my question. Is I mean, are these are these writers gonna come in with a very set perspective on what a comic book should look like, and will that influx affect the not the quality of story, but like, will that affect? I guess the trend of how these might be uh, published moving forward, like uh, we will always make the the comment on how certain writers write for the screen. Are we going to see more of that? Should these writers come in and, and that influx into the comic space? I don't think so. Mm. Comic book writers have no union, so they have no way of guaranteeing a lot of these things. Mm. Well, and I'm, um, you know, if I if I'm understanding what what you're asking, like if a if a screenwriter doesn't understand how to use a comic script, it's not going to work. Or the medium, right? If they don't know how, if they don't understand the medium, if they've never picked up a comic before in their life, they're not going to be able to make a successful book. I'll I'll go out on a limb. I think a comic book writer is much more um based on what how comics train you to think and and create. I think a comic book writer is much more capable of making that transition over to film and television yeah. than the other way around. Because you're immediately used to exactly what you write being on the page and having to think about that it, it, it with uh, images that do not move. Um, and so you have to be so much more deliberate and careful and cautious because panels are precious. Everybody knows that. Like the storyboarding yeah. is already done in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My my screenwriting professor, one of the first things he said was that when I brought up that I'm a comic writer, said that, uh, oh, yeah, I encourage all my screenwriting students that if they have a big idea that they can't get made to uh, look into writing comic books and graphic novels, then. <laughs> That made me go, 
<laughs> that felt, I don't think we're going to get along. <laughs> that felt and icky. I was right. <laughs> I'm having a hell of a time with this guy. And Comic Boom said uh, DC and Marvel are way more biased towards Hollywood writers than ever. I think they're way more biased towards everything but a comic book writer. Yeah, why writers? It, 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 yeah. It feels like being a co- wanting to be a comics writer is the absolute worst way that you could actually get into comics nowadays. Yep. It, yeah. it, like think about the writers that you know and how did they get into the business? A lot of them have a background in something that's not comics. You told me uh, Tanahesi Coates was wasn't a comic book writer uh, from starting off. No way. Snyder, you know, um, King. Um, yeah. I mean, the list goes on. Even even if you go back to like Jeff Johns, who, you know, who we love and who has m- made his bones in comics. Primarily, he started off in Hollywood. So yeah. the only I can think about is like Dan Slott, like literally started in comics. Yeah. Um, as a, a lying intern. But. Hey, listen, it worked. for <laughs> Yeah. So, look. I don't think we're trying to say that screenwriters can't become great comics writers. We've seen it happen. Um, it's not it's not like writing comics is 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 that much more difficult or anything. Um, but if but if you don't give a damn about the medium and you're just doing it because you want to get your story out there, you know, it might not even necessarily be for a check. You know, like, yeah, money's nice, but you might be like, hey, if this pops in a year, I could be in production on my on my comic script. Um, so to me, that is the nasty part, right? Like that's the part that I don't really care for. But if you honestly want a shot at comics and you know you love the medium and have respect for it, then yeah, absolutely by all means. I mean, you see a lot of comic writers, especially during the strike, you know, saying not you know kind of you know um, aligning with the 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 people striking, you know, not to scab because I'm sure a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, um, production companies will want to get people who aren't in the writer's guild to start mm-hmm. writing. Yep. Uh, and who are, who, who, what medium, I guess, is the most compatible and thought? It's probably comics. And a lot of comic book writers probably are not part of WGA. Um, and comic books don't have their own union. So there's probably going to be some studios reaching out to comic book writers. And, and I think a lot of comic book writers are, are cool with saying, you know, screw that. So the inverse also, it, I feel like it's a respect thing, you know? Like we're not scabbing for you. Don't like reverse scab in a way. <laughs> it you know don't knock me off of my flash book so you can you know write Ezra Miller uh, who doesn't even act like Barry Allen. Um, but yeah, it's very it's a very very difficult situation that I yeah. think really brings out the uh, it really requires everybody to bring out their moral compass um, and figure out you know what makes the most sense for you. Like hey. You might not give a damn about comics, but you might need to put your kids' food on the table. Yeah. And at that point, who mm-hmm. can say anything to you, right? So it's very complex. At the end of the day, we're talking about creators and we're talking about people who are pretty much not treated fairly in any industry that exists. You know, like like any 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 area in which there are creative people, you will find people who are being abused. Yeah. Um yep. like probably by and large. And so that sucks. Uh, like it is, Faith uh, also says on YouTube, the current economic troubles are gonna are going to truly challenge the ability of the union and strikers to prevent people from seeking side work. Um, it's interesting because 2007, 2008 was one of the last financial crises as well. And so, you know, this 
repeating doing this is just uh, cyclical in that you need to like, people need to live to your point right and so um uh, if i think if you need they desperately need the work it's hard to it's hard to blame yeah um examples of of writers who went from one uh, industry to comics succeeding i think there are quite a few yeah, um, well. i think we laid a few out i think uh kevin smith even though he's not no, oh, yeah. Writing consistently, he obviously had successes, and his books are celebrated to some degree. Um, you know, and then we talked about Snyder King, Rom V. Where Rom V came from? He came from Eng- science, engineering. Okay, yeah. well, that, so that so that doesn't count. That's yeah, academia, that's... I believe, in research. Yeah, uh, but uh, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong. Christopher Cantwell came correct, from yeah. Halt and Catch Fire. Halt yeah. and Catch Fire, and he worked in some ad marketing as well. Yeah, that's a great example. There are, there are, I think there are quite a few really good examples. And if we really sat and ruminated on it, we could come up with more. Um, it's not that they don't exist. It's just that as I forget, I forget the creator who I cited. So I apologize. But as they, they highlighted, you know, these, there are a lot of projects that probably get started, artists that get hired and get mistreated, um, underpaid, whatever the case may be, that don't even, don't even get off the ground. Or writers who might bump another writer off a project, not their fault necessarily, but you know that's the decision that gets made from on high for a book that ends up sucking. That might have been really great if Jimmy Palmiotti got to do it, you know. And and another case is that comics take so fucking long to make. Yeah, you know the strike will probably be over before the first issue ever even sees the light of day. Right. We uh the first the first strike lasted a uh, one hundred days. We are four days into this current strike, so we will see how this goes. We probably won't see the direct impact on comics or otherwise for some time. But 100 days was all it took to ravage Heroes, Lost, and others um, and really change that industry. We'll see how long this strike lasts and how it impacts the industries that we love, including comics. So we will stay tuned, and we will certainly be uh, be speaking about this going forward. Yeah, Aaron Ruiz, J.J. Abrams, and his son are uh, the, the example of how this shit goes as wrong as possible. But I will tell you one thing. One person I am happy for in that whole fiasco is Sarah Pacelli, because Sarah Pacelli got paid what I hope is buku bucks to do a story that I don't even know if it ever finished, and you know it was it was a paycheck it was a nice check so yeah. hats off uh interestingly i i just quickly googled the some of the uh issues of the strike for the 2007 one of them being dvd residuals and so yeah. before it was only to tape and so they had to fight to get dvd so i you know what hopeful for the streaming pieces in that case because they managed to get it they managed to negotiate so uh i mean What's what's coming around the corner? AI is gonna fucking feed Netflix into your brain, and they're gonna have to figure out how to strike against that next too. Get a residual for using my thought brain process. I don't know. Yeah, the eye brain. The eye brain. Yeah. We have a lot more show to do. Thank you guys so much for uh, participating in that conversation with us, uh, live commenters. You guys are the greatest of all and, time. Thank and you apologies so much. For, 
apologies for anyone who might have punched their, you know, whatever screen you're watching when Marco was talking. Uh, <laughs> we will not be paying out any broken phones or computer monitors. I apologize. <laughs> Marco we, will. We, we won't, but oh. Marco will. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, uh, Marco will just ask ChatGPT how to resolve your feelings, and then he will then be able to assuage you of how angry you are about it. That's right. Um, but, yeah, so we can't help finance your television, but you can help us finance this very podcast. Oh, well, uh, by heading on over to patreon.com slash the comics pals, where we are offering a whole host of of um of different things for you guys you get access to our monthly show palling around it's a totally exclusive show that only lives on our patreon page so if you want to hear us unfiltered uh uncensored unbothered by being a part of the youtube partner program head on over there and you will get access to that you get to vote in our book club poll uh the next book club poll will be going up uh this upcoming week so um if you enjoy our book clubs know that the ones that that come out are voted by our patrons. Um, so that's something that happens also. Uh, Tyler, you look like you want to say words. Yeah, I just want to say any money that that we get from that will also be used to to buy Marco's emotion trip for his positronic uh, brain. So <laughs> it, it, it's on the fritz right now. So, you know, like, yeah, you know, it happens. The warranty expired. You know, always really need to get that upgrade. Expires, yeah. I need it. Always appreciate you, Kefis. Uh, speaking of Kefis, one of the other things that you get is a nickname and a shout out on the show. And Kefis is on that list. So thank you to Thunderstruck, Rebecca Alejandro, The Night Stalker, Harris Najinsky, Brian Demolish, Del Pozo, Kefis the Incorruptible, Momentum, mm-hmm. Mike Elliott, Starcross, Catherine Stars, The Hound of Justice, Atomic Hound, Dan the Truth Trudeau, Joel Justice, and Jalen the Sanguine Sorcerer. The very first member of the Palsverse that I did not name or give a backstory to. I hope you liked your nickname and uh, backstory that Tyler created. And if you don't like it, that is uh, at the Tyler Olson on Twitter. So I made him a really violent villain. (laughs) I know. I heard. I I was was horrified. Good story. Boy, I did not think horrified is what was going to come out of your mouth just now. (laughs) What did you think I was going to say? I... I heard whore and I went, he was what? <laughs> hey, we wait till the summer's coming up. We'll see. Well, that maybe maybe in your case. Yeah, oh, yeah, mine. yeah. For me, for me. Yeah, the paperwork's yeah. done, so I'm I'm free. If you want to watch this show live, you can do that on YouTube and Twitch every single Saturday at 10 15 a.m. Eastern, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Pulls. Uh we appreciate you if you decide to Give us your uh, your uh, subscription on Twitch. You can do that with uh, Twitch Prime if you have that. That makes it free. Free for you. Helps us out a ton. And then, of course, Super Chats are live on YouTube. If you enjoyed the previous conversation or anything else we talk about and you decide that you want to Super Chat us, we really love those. Thank you all so much. Come join our Discord server where we're always having great conversations. Happy free comic book day. If you're going to be heading to your shop today, uh, join our Discord and then send us pictures of your haul, whatever you pick up from New York from Free Comic Book Day, uh, send that over on to us. We would love to see your books. So we've got uh, we've got more show to do. We're going to be talking about a big Zack Snyder bomb that he dropped during a Q and A that had Twitter in a frenzy. Uh, we've got some new book announcements from DC, and we're going to be talking about our core 
comics memories. So that should be a lot of fun. But before we get into all that, I have a question for you guys. The question is because, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 uh, did come out on Friday. We've all seen it. Our review for that will be premiering on YouTube Sunday. So that would be tomorrow if you're watching us live. Tomorrow, the uh, 7th of May. Yes, the 7th of May. It will be, pre- it will be premiering on YouTube, so you will be able to watch that uh, as you get to hear what we thought. But now that that's closed and the and, and the, the trilogy, the Guardians trilogy has come to an end, I thought we could discuss and rank our favorite trilogies from the MCU. So uh, there are a few. We have the Iron Man trilogy. We have the Captain America trilogy, Spider-Man trilogy, Ant-Man trilogy, and the Guardians trilogy. And so real quick, we're just going to rank these uh, in order of least favorite to greatest. So um, your fifth is your least favorite, and your first is the one you like the most. Tyler, Uh, go ahead. I'll go. Um, This is a little tricky, honestly. Um, So I'll go with my least favorite. Um, My least favorite, I think, is the Iron Man ones. Uh, Personally, I think the Iron Man ones are my least favorite. I think there are some good ones there, but uh, a little inconsistent. Then I would go with... Weird. Uh, Uh, Spider-Man as my option there. Um, which is strange. The next one will be Ant-Man. And Quantumania really ruined Ant-Man. Ant-Man had the potential to be my favorite trilogy of Marvel movies. And Quantumania just pooped the bed. Um, then I'm going to give it to Guardians. Um, and then I'm going to give it to Captain America. Captain America uh, uh, Winter Soldier is still my favorite Marvel movie of all time. Um, nothing's, okay. nothing's beat it since. But um, I don't want to give my opinions on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three just yet. You got to wait for that show. I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna tease you. Uh, but you do see where that that lands in my ranking, so maybe that gives you a hint. But yeah, those are my. Thank you for the sub, Viler. Uh, appreciate that, Marco. Um, least for sure. Ooh, it's a toss up between Iron Man and Ant Man. I'm gonna give it to Ant Man because I that is uh, the most recent bad taste in my mouth. Um, and then I'm going to do Iron Man, uh, one that's like kind of, that's good, that's solid. Probably the Spider-Man trilogy, then Cap, and number one is the Avengers. Okay, Kale? The Avengers? That's not on the list. Wait, yeah, that's not, that's not there. Oh, was it not? No. Dang it. Think Guardians. <laughs> wait, so you're you making... Know, Space Avengers. Space Avengers. So, so wait. So, what did you say about Guardians, then? So, then Guardians would be the top trilogy in that case. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, Shoot. We just got another follow, but I missed it. Thank you, whoever that was. Tyler, you're muted. It's B- Bago Ferret is who followed us on, on Twitch. Okay. Uh, sounds like a Star Wars character, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Bago Ferret? Bag of Ferrets, maybe? Oh, Bag of Ferrets. Yeah. Okay. Kale? Uh, number five, Spider-Man. To no one's surprise. Nope. <laughs> uh, number four, Ant-Man. Number oh. three, mm. <laughs> 
Guardians. Number two, Ant-Man. Number one, Captain America. Woo! Okay, so does that mean that you are valuing the first two Ant-Man movies very highly? Despite not liking the third one? Or do you like the third one more now than you did? Where was Ant-Man? <laughs> was that... Ant-Man that... was number four. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I heard it was two. two. I, thought, okay. I thought it was two. Yeah. Did I say two? Yeah. Yeah. No, Iron Man was number two. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All okay. right. Ant-Man was four. No, Spider- <laughs> Ant-Man was four. Spider-Man was five. Guardians was three. Iron Man was two. Cap one. Gotcha. Kale, there's an All easier right. way to do this. If you just write in Chad GBT what your ranking of the trilogy should be, it can just he, give you a better. He forgets sometimes. He's at that age. I, I have, a, I have a, a thing called a pencil that I could also. There you go. Uh, you know what? I, I've been I've been ruminating on this a little bit, and it's tough because I don't find any of these trilogies to actually be bad. But I'm gonna say Iron Man is bottom tier because wow. as much as I love Iron Man one, I despise Iron Man three. So like <laughs> it's neutralized. Okay. Iron Man one is neutralized by Iron Man three, and Iron Man two is not enough. Um, that badass Iron Man War Machine versus Iron um whatever his name was Whiplash. Whiplash. As cool as that was, it's not enough. Uh, then I would have to go Ant Man, just because of how much I enjoyed the other three trilogies. Uh, I love Ant Man three, but I didn't care for two for one or two that much. That's right. Um, you like number three. Yeah. So that would be the fourth one. Then I have to go Guardians. Um, because Guardians 2, it's not my least favorite Marvel movie, but it might be the most boring that I've ever seen. But it still sucks shit. I could not yeah. believe. I yeah, like Aimless that movie, movie shocked me. Yeah. I really enjoyed the first one despite mm-hmm. the dumb dancing. But then part two, I was just like, what happened here? Um, And then, then I would go Spider-Man. I adore all three of these movies tremendously. I think they're all fantastic. Can't wait for the fourth one. And then we'll no longer be eligible for this list. Um, But nothing can beat Captain America. Um, I don't care for uh, the first Avenger that much, but Winter Soldier and Civil War are in my top five. They're that damn good. So yeah, it eclipses everything. And I think I would put that trilogy up there against trilogies that aren't from Marvel. Like, I think it's that good that it could compare to other trilogies as well. Like the Matrix? It it's it's in that conversation, but the Matrix is the greatest thing yeah. ever made. So. Well, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, always back down. But, but that's not a trilogy. So, it's it, it, there. There are four oh, Matrix movies. Horrible. Oh, that's right. I yeah, about that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and and chat, please share your ranking. I see some. Share your rankings. Um, yeah, Aaron Ruiz. We have uh, Ant Man, Iron Man, Spider Man, Cap, Guardians. Oh, Cap, Cap. Cap Cap American. I thought that was the next one. Uh and Guardians, yeah. Okay. All right. I feel that. So I assume that means you've seen Guardians 3. And clearly that means you you uh you must oh, yeah. have join us tomorrow. Either oh, really liked it or really didn't. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh we've got some listener comments to get through. So Tyler, why don't you read these? You get some satisfaction out of this. That is- I've admitted that I do. I love right, it. All right. <laughs> oh, right off the bat. Sphere mode uh, on the Twilight of the Superhero series. Y'all, these videos were so dope. I'll definitely check out your other videos now. 
I'm really looking for comic channels to talk about comics more critically and discuss the background and stuff. That's just beat for beat retellings of comic stories. Uh, agreed. <laughs> That's why we do what we do, because we don't like it either. I hate book report you, sort of things. You know what? I don't even want that to be the message. I love Comics Explained. I love Comic Story, and those are great guys, and they do great work, and I think that the success that they have had shows the value of that kind of stuff. It's just not what we wanted to do. Um, there are great channels that are already doing that. Um, personally, for myself, I prefer to dig a little deeper into the industry and things like that. Um, but there's a place for everything like that in comics, all kinds of conversations. Uh, Kushik Raja on what would be your Guardians of the Galaxy team. Uh, what I would do is the Annihilation trilogy. I would not only set the tone Ooh. apart from Guns Guardians, which was kind of a funny, goofy vibe into a war movie like tone. But I would expand on the cosmic lore with the Kree and the Accusers and the Inhumans in space and bring in more powerhouses like Kalark, Quas Quasar, and others. Yo. Get like, a, get like a Band of Brothers Annihilation movie that's Dude. not even like yeah. colorful. <laughs> you know, like they like the MCU oh, tries Snyder to make like space. No, not, I, a, not, not like a Snyder movie. I don't want it to be ugly. Like a Band of Brothers I, Kale, I am so into that idea. Like, I think, I truly think for what the Guardians movies were for the kind of movie that they are, if we could get that quality, right, but just applied to a different style for the Guardians, yeah. that radical of a difference, I think that would be so cool. And And finally, getting space stuff that's, like, serious and warlike. Like, where's the war? The Kree scroll mm. War, yeah. Yeah. With the Annihil Guardians in that, the Annihilation story, something like that. Oh my god! Annihilators okay. was a book. It was a team book, just right. for that. Yeah, make also, uh, make uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel get in there and like give her a real like character redemption. Nice chewy uh, bit to to work on. Yeah, yeah. I also like how uh, how Koshik Raja uses a uh, gladiator's government name by calling him Kalark. <laughs> <laughs> Gladiator is sick. I love Gladiator. I love the Mohawk dude. So good. Yeah. By the way, I, I, I neglected to say this, but Spear Mode, uh, thank you so much for that comment. And that was chopped. Like Spear Mode left a much longer comment that dove really deeply and thoughtfully into Twilight of the Superheroes. So really appreciate um, that you took the time to, you know, ruminate that much on something that we did. So thank you. Uh, Joel Justice on the Lazarus Book Club, which you guys check out. I thought it was a really good show personally speaking i had a lot of fun with that um he said this is such a good book club i have not read lazarus yet but with everything that you guys talked about in this episode i'll definitely be picking it up to read i love it when you guys do a deep dive into these heavier books this makes me want a tokyo ghost book club even more on a side note i would like a sean is right shirt me too <laughs> i can do it sean, can you just take part. a picture of like can you just look at a camera some decent lighting straight forward if you can give me that i can make a shirt out of it Dude, I'm going to see you in two days. <laughs> Not even tom tomorrow. Tomorrow. Take the picture tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's for tomorrow. What day <laughs> oh, wait, I'll just take it, it tomorrow. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll there. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I, and, and Joel Justice, based on the kinds of books that you seem to be interested in, I actually think that Lazarus is right up your alley. And I appreciate that we now know our audience like certain members of our audience because of the discord and interactions to where we can like say like,
for you specifically as an individual, you will like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case here. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, and then a sage also on the Lazarus Book Club. I'm going to make this my first purchase of any real trade. Very excited. Wow. Okay. Hey, all right. Good stuff. That's glad huge. We could, glad we could be that. And if you want to do that, right, for Joel and Sage and anybody else that's listening that might want to buy the Lazarus Book Club, we actually have an Amazon affiliate link uh, in the Lazarus Book Club episode that you can go and use. And if you buy that book through our affiliate link, we're going to get some kickback, which is huge for us. Um, And you're buying it anyway. So if you intended on doing that, go to the Lazarus Book Club on YouTube, click that link the affiliate link and buy it through there. Obviously we, we, we want people to support comic book shops and don't want to take anything away from that. But if you wanted to help us out, that would be a way to do it. Also uh, sh- oh. shout out to Sage. Join the discord. It seems to be a really cool dude. So I just love, I love when people join the discord and they're like, Oh, all right. These are, these are just chill people. You know? yeah. yep. Good conversation. We've had, we've had very few um, bad apples. Just she Hulk. Apparently. <laughs> Not just, but uh, very few. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. You guys want to? You guys want to poke a bear? You guys want to hit a beehive? Nope. Um, Anything like no? No, that one less. I hate Snyderverse, and I hate those movies. Did I start it off already? You sure did. All right, (laughs) man. Let's talk about Zack Snyder. Everybody's favorite. So uh, Zack Snyder had a Man of Steel uh, event. There was a and a and I believe they also did a and a for um, BVS and Justice League, but I'm not sure about that. But there was a, a Q&A event that took place last week, Friday, and um, Zack talked a lot about, you know, his feelings about, you know, the, the Snyderverse, as it were, and, you know, things that went right and wrong and things like that. Um, and it's good, you know, if you're into the Snyderverse stuff, I recommend watching it. I am personally into it, so I enjoyed hearing his thoughts and hearing the thoughts of the other producers and different people that were involved. Um, and I and I enjoy the fact that so many people are passionate. But I'm saying all that positive stuff because I know where this conversation is going to go. Uh, Zack Snyder said regarding Wonder Woman and regarding uh, Kryptonians and generally regarding gods and magic in his world, said the following. Quote, we thought Zeus could possibly be Kryptonian so that Wonder Woman's powers. Anyway, you can sort of see where that's going. The whole thing of whether or not magic or gods, quote, there's a version of where you're like, that's cool, I guess. Then there's the scientific aspect. You have the pathology of wondering where gods come from. We had played around with that quite a bit. Uh, Unquoted, but if you watch the actual thing, you will see that. Someone else on the panel said that uh, Ares was actually responsible for shooting down the craft that Superman was in. What? Boy. That's kind of wild. Shooting down, so that implies that it was never meant to land on Earth anyway. Yeah, or, like or from space? Area, or like in a different area, maybe. It, things would have gone differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Sun. Um... And so Zach laughed at that and then kind of was like, you know, we we thought about a lot of things. That was one of the things that we considered. Um, obviously, none of that ever actually made it into anything. 
But clearly, this is where Zach's mind was at when trying to figure out how to explain some of that stuff. And so if you weren't reading between the lines of what I just said, Wonder Woman would have been Kryptonian. That's what I'm saying. That's what that's what Zach was saying. But yeah. your lineage would be Kryptonian if Zeus was Kryptonian. So. Right. Um, every time that Zack Snyder talks about DC film and you know Justice League, I am still surprised at its at his complete lack of understanding of what these characters are. <laughs> um, but I like his chutzpah. <laughs> I guess it feels uh, like why why would you have to make such a radical shift to the character when you have a perfectly fine mythology to build on you know but where do the gods come from Marco but then Zeus is but then Zeus is a little bitch because he's just a Gryptonian he's a uh, little bitch because <laughs> he's not a god right? and like he doesn't actually have this omnipotence and power about him or, it, ma- it, or even you remove the magic elements from him. Yeah. It's a, this, it's it's yeah. trying to explain things that don't need explaining. Uh, the idea of a god is enough as, as the human experience. We understand it. I, I get that. Philosophy one hundred and one. Yeah. Like, where does God come from? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've accepted that. That's okay. All right. Listen. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Maybe it's my maybe it's my AI moment, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna defend this a little bit. I actually don't think this is a good idea at all however it's worth pointing out that marvel did the exact same thing and yes i I was also i was i was gonna say the same thing and the reason why no one cares that marvel made the asgardians aliens and not gods is because no one said anything about it like they just did it and they baked it into colorful worlds and funny jokes and things like that so people look past it um, I think that's just as bad. However, this didn't happen, and he's talking about it after the fact of a universe that no one likes versus a universe that people are pretty okay with, and it just happened, and people accepted it. It's the same rewriting that J.K. Rowling has done over the past 15 years with Harry Potter. Oh, they don't actually have toilets in Hogwarts. I've never even read Harry Potter and I know all this bullshit. They just poop in their robes and it goes to a magic dimension. They have to actually perform a spell for the magic to happen. So, listen, is this is that real? That's real. Yeah, she yeah she said that and she was like, oh, that's canon. What? Yeah. I think (laughs) I I think to to sort of add on to what you're saying, Sean, is that it worked in Marvel. Because their their explanation, like I think, is grounded in a logic. You know, it didn't stop at well, where do gods come from? It took the next step to say, well, they're just aliens, and their magic is actually science that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Cool, great, that rules. Yeah. Had like you say, had Snyder taken that next step. And and frankly, my problem is the Kryptonian part. Um, I I think that's horrid. Yeah. Because the the whole DC universe is so expansive, but everything has to come from Krypton. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. It's too tied in. And I think that's all I agree with you. That's my problem with it as well. If you want to say that uh the pantheon of gods that Zeus comes from are are actually aliens, I really don't care about that. Sure. That's irrelevant to me. But you can't say that they're also Kryptonian because that disrupts too many things. Yeah. And people fr- quite frankly, people are so unbelievably familiar with the origins of these characters that when you do something like that, it challenges your people's preconceived notions, and that bothers people. I personally did not like the God's alien shift that Marvel did, but like I said, most people didn't care. Why? Because they don't know. Where does Thor come from? Asgard. What's the origin of Asgard? Who cares? It's somewhere else. And the comics did it first, too, so there was precedent. Uh, don't Let's not say that, because they, they, they did it because of that. They, they did it because the realms existed and they had to justify the realms existing within the greater scheme of space. You and believe even. you buy that? Yeah. Wh- when did they make that change? Was it JMS's run? Hmm. I don't think so. I don't remember that. I remember them bad. being in Oklahoma, but I don't remember them. Yeah. I don't remember that. It was before that, before Midgard, early on in JMS's run, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't think so. My my belief, because I didn't even know about Thor at that time. Like that book was my first real anything of Thor. And I feel like I remember them making that change alongside the MCU, but I could be wrong. I and even still, like, even with that explanation, tell someone Thor is not a god. Right. Try and have that conversation. Like it doesn't matter. He's the god of thunder, but he's not a god. Right. Yeah. But you know, we just accept that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, this is this is not great. And clearly there's a reason why it didn't happen. Because they realized, oh shit, this is not what we need to be doing. They realized, oh yeah, this is this is a stupid take. (laughs) <laughs> but what what kills me so much is that they're on that stage talking about it and people are like clapping. And I was like, oh, you want this? It's the stands, Sean. Like a, a little bit of objectivity, maybe. <laughs> classy, classy Ulysses says, uh, did you guys see the video that someone asked a question about Doomsday and the crowd just booed the question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, man. I think Doomsday sucked, but a lot of people don't want to admit that. You know that that it just wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't as awesome as it could have been. I didn't mind it. I actually kind of like it, but it wasn't as awesome as it could have been. Not not nearly. Um, and yes, I am also glad that it did not happen or overall snake. Um, all right, let's let's move on. We've bashed Snyder enough, and let's give instead of bashing some congratulations. To Jim Lee. Hey. Yes. Who is now the president of DC Comics. When you talk about chess, right? And you talk about going from being a literal pawn. <laughs> come on. No, oh, yeah. Art, artists and writers in Damn. the big in the big game. Um, all right. Okay. All right. Starting out. Okay. Right? You go from being a pawn. And then watching as all the other pawns, knights, 
Everybody else gets eaten up, taken off the board, and you're that little pawn that could. And somehow you keep creeping forward and forward and forward. And my man, Jim Lee, became the king. He made it because he's the president of D.C., right? And on top of that, uh, he's he's uh, he's an executive. I, I, I he has like four titles, three he's, titles now. So he he's like the CC, isn't he still the CCO, and like yes. and publisher? Yes, yes, and president. Yo, this is the epitome of like give him a title and give him more work. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, and it's no one. Yeah, he's the president, publisher, and CCO of DC Comics. I, that is that is a remarkable. Um, list of titles and you know ultimately what does it mean for jim lee probably not a lot probably more money and 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 that's about it um but congratulations definitely i'm glad he has this cool shiny new title what does he do i give that question to a lot of uh c-suite level executives well and i don't even necessarily mean it in that way but like I don't understand what he does. Yeah, yeah. Who's editor-in-chief of Marvel? I mean, of DC, rather. Mm, that's a great question. Is Because I know the publisher controls... It, the publisher deals with the handling of the IP, of the characters, and, and their appearances throughout media. That could be, you know, branding. It's Marie Javins. Oh, it's Marie Javins still. Okay. Um... Unless unless that's changed. But uh No, yeah. In twenty twenty she was named the sole editor in chief of DC Comics. Yeah. So I mean Jim Lee has been there for a lot of the changes that have happened yep. at DC, um, in an executive position, but we can't we can't necessarily know what to attribute or not attribute to him. Um just because of the sort of like ne- nebulousness of that of those kinds of positions. Um, I assume that he has a general oversight of the creative at DC. That's my assumption. And the, like, the overall direction that it goes in. Well, at a company level, right, where these are initiatives that not on a storytelling basis, but this is how the organization as a whole wants to move forward. Because he was the one that talked about their digital first initiative and bringing back um, a lot of the, um, uh, uh, oh my God, not the not the Wildstorm stuff. Was it the um, I'm blanking the name, uh, Static and all that. Milestone. Oh, um, yeah, it's Milestone. Yeah, Milestone. Yeah, the Milestone stuff, right? Like, like those are the larger ideas that he pushes the company forward with. I don't think he's on the creative end as much as he is on the. Uh, what are we doing at like a very top level? How is DC Comics as a whole interacting with maybe the distribution and what new initiatives are, is, the, are, is the company putting forward to help advance the company? Okay. Yeah, like he, he helped work on New 52 and Rebirth, like those kind of initiatives that are like company-wide initiatives rather than but, the minutia of what's happening specifically for each character. Yeah, exactly. That's probably where delegation applies. But So he's likely the person who, you know, every year will go, ah, it's probably time for a crisis. 
he's probably awesome. the one who's like gave final approval on the crisis yeah so one of the interesting things though about this is that um jim lee actually has a very good relationship with james gunn and jim lee from what i know was responsible for getting the james gunn announced the books that are associated with the projects that gunn announced for the DC film universe, um, getting those back in print, making sure that those are that those came back quickly. And mm-hmm. James Gunn tweeted about how he was on the phone with Jim Lee and they had meetings scheduled and things like that. So I think that um, the best thing that can come from something like this is the fact that now we have a person who's in charge at nearly the top level. I mean, basically the top level you could possibly be at at DC. Um other than uh, Pamela Liff, Pamela Lifford, I believe. Um, yeah, Pam Lifford, who he reports to. Other than her, he's the top person you could be at. You could be at DC, and he is intimately connected to James Gunn, who is the top person you could be at for films. So the synergy possibilities are great, um, and I think it could be really great for comics fans because Jim Lee can say, "Hey, can we get an ad before the film starts? Can we make that happen?" And we've seen those things happening already. So I feel like this is great. Yeah, in that regard. Yeah, he's had a lot of just. Uh, I think they've had good ideas under his leadership, and they're trying stuff, right? And I think you have to try stuff, even even if things fail, like the like let's see the, the some of the Walmart stuff. It's a good idea. It comes from a place of I want to innovate and, and I'm trying out to expand my base. Maybe it'll work. Maybe not. Yeah. Didn't. Okay. Fine. Uh, the DCU app or the DC Universe app. Maybe let's try more of that. Let's focus on the uh, on that digital side. I, I think you need to be able to have that flexibility of innovation to be able to try um, to advance the company as a whole, to advance comics as a whole. Yeah, 100%. Um, and honestly, when I think about Jim Lee and when I look at Jim Lee, um, the biggest thing that I ask myself and that I question is, what is his skincare routine? Like, my man looks immaculate. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You got to be like, like what, 60? They say black don't crack. Look at my man right here. True. Asian don't bl- Asian. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. That sounds like racist. It. Do it again. Do it again. I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, do it again. <laughs> Tail with the c- c- with the capacity. Um, also, like, I never hear bad things about Jim Lee, you know? Nope. Yeah. Like, trust me, the older heads of comics, like, something has come out <laughs> about each one of them at one point, you know? <laughs> you get some yeah. kind of buzz, you know, like, oh, this guy was like a dick behind the scenes. So, like, I don't hear much about Jim Lee. I feel like it's the level-headed people of comics, right? Like, this is the opinion of somebody who is, like, who is just uh, composed buttoned up they're not they're not there to fuck around they're having a good time hanging out they're doing good work that's it yep he's just there look i get to draw batman i'm happy like yeah yeah absolutely and like duke is still going in the art the art field too like not too long ago the the suicide squad run he did with rob williams that was good shit he still has it still got the chops still one of the greatest uh arubaro snake dollar bills keep you young listen to then let yeah we need to we need to get that 
our way. Kale can barely stay up for the show anymore. We need <laughs> we need some we need to we need to rejuvenate. That's what we need. We had we had a meeting the other night that went to two a.m. <laughs> my time, and everybody was like, "Are you dead?" Yeah, and I said. Yes, <laughs> Sean had to stop for and take a beat and be like, "Kale, like you're you don't look well." Yeah, we need we need that money for that Ray Mysterio stem cell therapy treatment. You know, <laughs> yo, yeah, legitimately, yes, I would love that. Um, yeah. So, congrats to Jim Lee, personal fave of mine, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad he's doing well. Let's continue to talk DC. Uh, they announced this week three new miniseries spinning out of what Jeff Johns has been doing with the Golden Age. Okay. Yes. Kale's awake. And so, huh? Kale's awake now. He, oh, yeah. He, he yep. said it's uh, the, the secret word. Absolutely. Um, And so we're getting three new books. Uh, Alan Scott, The Green Lantern by Tim Sheridan and uh, C.N. Torme. Uh, Jay Garrick, The Flash, from Jeremy Adams and Diego Alortegui, or Alortegui, uh, and Wesley Dodds, The Sandman. Oh, that's right. Oh, 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 mama. I'm excited. I'm excited for that one. From Rob Venditti and Riley Rosmo. Oh, Riley Rosmo? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm. I have mixed feelings now. Fuck. I yeah. I, I'm I'm with you. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? Like the art's good, yeah. but it's so stylized. Yeah, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not positive that it's just like it looked like he was looking for. Uh, yeah, Riley yeah, Rosmo same. That's what, that's what I thought. <laughs> that's why I stopped. <laughs> I was looking for some Riley Rosmo uh, books behind me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely wasn't sneezing. Uh, to plan says not sure about that Sandman series. Who's that for? Uh, me, asshole. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa! You got a little, got a little heated there with the Sandman. Uh, um, I'll tell you who it's not for. It's oh. not for me. For you, Ooh. asshole. I, <laughs> you, me, you can call an asshole. That's that's okay. Um, I, you know what? I actually really have enjoyed the Jeff Johns Golden Age stuff, and I don't give a damn about the Golden Age. Um, but the Golden Age special that he did back, I think it was in November or something like that, was extremely good. But this, I do not care about. No way. Uh, altogether, or is it like the altogether. same man thing that puts a, a, a bad taste in your mouth? Altogether. All I feel like mm. these projects just don't really ring my bell. And then unfortunately, I I feel like the creative teams could be stronger. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think I gotta give you that. Yeah. Yeah. As excited as I am for an Alan Scott book, like this entire line is right up my alley. Um, I'm not thrilled about these creative teams. But I mean um, these are these are like names like Tim Sheridan's been popping up, Jeremy Adams, Robin Venditti. Like, do we need I bigger? I don't know who Tim Sheridan is. Mm. Like, I don't know what to expect with you know a, a Tim Sheridan book. I don't know who he I, is. I believe Tim Sheridan's the one who worked with Jeff Johns on Flashpoint Beyond. On Flashpoint, yes. Um, yeah, that doesn't help on, on Flashpoint Beyond, yeah, Flashpoint Beyond, yeah, yeah, which. 
I, I, I liked, um, but it's hard to know yeah. how much to attribute to any individual when you have a situation like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that being said, it's not that they're not names at all, Marco. It's just that I feel like, like, if you said, if you said to me, you know, Tim Sheridan and Dan Mora, who's the busiest artist on the planet. I would say, whoa, all right, Tim Sheridan, I'm I'll give yeah. you a chance because Dan Moore is here. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I would say. I, it's okay. not any one of them that I'm like, oh, I don't want this. It's just that combined, the actual teams they put together, I'm like, eh, I like Riley Rossmo a lot. Yeah. 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 And I was really excited about the one minute war stuff from Jeremy Adams. To me, that kind of flopped uh from you know promise to execution well at least he gets um, right more flash sure yeah that uh, you know i like to achieve my dreams too i'll give him that sure yeah but, <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm i genuinely i'm thrilled for him um but i you know uh, the premise sounds good but again um and then the sandman i i'm i'm with marco like the as listen i'm thrilled to get a new Sandman book. I know, baby. But Riley Rosmo is not the noir supernatural horror artist that you need for that character. Mm. So, like, again, in the same case as, like, Tim Sheridan, I'm not sure what this book is going to look like other than he was just kind of thrown on it. I disagree on that. Uh, Riley Rosmo did an amazing shadow book like the shadow which is like the epitome of noir you know type of comic book i think it was it was shadow batman batman and the shadow team up oh with uh, was that snyder that i think so did that a few yeah, years so. ago yeah um mm. so rosmo's got the chops for that kind of story um all right even the yeah, constant ever... stuff rosmo did was very you know magic base but it was also very ground level Oh, Everybody's those. talked big about uh, Vendetti. Um, Dude, I don't yeah. have experience with him. Uh, I wrote him. some Valiant stuff that when Valiant was, you know, actually putting out books um, and did some good Green Lantern stuff after Jeff Johns. Hawkman, also good. He made Hawkman Man, and Indiana Jones, essentially. I wanted to like that Green Lantern so bad after Jeff Johns, but I dropped it. Uh, I will say these covers are, are nice, though. I mean, I honestly... Maybe hot take. I could care. I can. I couldn't give two shits about Jay Garrick. I have no affinity towards Jay Garrick. Well, you're wrong. I, I bet I am. I know. I'm, I'm certainly. Uh, I'd admit that uh, the Sandman one's interesting. I, I, out of the creative team, that's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, but the the cover on this Green Lantern Alan Scott one is gorgeous. It's got like this Art Deco vibe to it that I just yeah, really yeah. like. Um, and if that's an indication of the type of story they plan on telling, you know, because our deco kind of mentally puts me in a very specific time frame um, that I think works well with the idea of the Justice Society. Mm. Um, I think that's a good indication. Mm. Go ahead. Uh, well, just to, just to tag onto that real quick, Alan Scott is that kind of character too. Yeah. Like his, um, you know, his background is in, he's a, a radio journalist that got his powers from a train 
<laughs> you know, like it's just like it's that kind of like gilded age fifties, yep. like you know, the power Uberos, of locomotion. Uberal Snake says uh, Venditti is great. Jeremy Adams is a great choice. Sheridan is a wild card. His Red X story was awful, but he was forced to put that in. I'll give it an issue. Um, I think that that's great. Like, if you want to give it an issue, that's perfectly fine. I know that for me, these characters already don't spark anything in me, and then the creative teams are not enough to make me go, I want to give this a chance. So I, mm-hmm. I can't I can't afford to say that I want to drop the $4.99 or whatever it's going to cost because I just don't care to risk it. Like, if, what if it's not, you know, what if, like, if everything about it is telling me not for me, I just don't see a reason to drop the money on it. Yeah. Um, I got to pay for a thing that maybe you won't enjoy, right? Like, right. Like Sean will do that. Well, yeah, well I, I do that constantly. Dean um, will. M- MP uh, has a question. Are these books set in the past, like World's Finest or Present Day? Uh, it looks like it varies. Um, it looks like Alan Scott's one will have contextualization that begins in the 1930s. Oh. Um, let's see. Yeah, the, the think, Flash one's about Jake Garrick's early days with the Flash. So it's, it seems like it is set in those time periods. Oh, I thought – I got the impression it was um, present day. So the Alan Scott uh, one, for example, um, it's it says uh, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, revisits and recontextualizes the origins of the first Green Lantern through the lens of our modern understanding of the man. The story, which begins in the 30s, is about an old flame, the kind that burns eternal in the sometimes head-on single-track collision of our personal and professional lives. This is Alan's coming of age and was he must embrace the man he is to become the hero he's meant to be. In the end, he'll have a greater understanding of himself and his gifts as he unlocks a new, previously unknown ability that could make him the most powerful Green Lantern in existence. Um, in The Flash, Jay Garrick, it's hard to be a parent, especially when your kid is a speedster. Jay Garrick has been reunited with his long-lost daughter, Judy, but figuring out how to connect with her is proving to be difficult. They'll need to work to find common ground when a mission that started in Jay's early days as The Flash comes roaring into today. So it seems like they all have a tie to the past. Sure, okay. Or explicitly take place back then. That's the vibe I get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Cool. Yeah. I think I mean, what what yeah, what we're yeah. what we're wrong with these characters previously. I think in like New Fifty Two is when they made them like Earth Two characters, and they yeah. just tried to completely modernize them. I don't think that worked because I think you do need contextualization that sets these characters' origins in a very specific time period. I agree with that. Um. Speaking of time periods, let's talk about the various different time periods of our lives as comic book fans and the core memories that we have associated with comics. I want to do thank you. I want to do three core comics memories. So what do I mean by this? These are the memories that when you think about comics, when your brain goes to comic books, the things that you think about, obviously I know how memory works. They don't have to be 100% solid, right? Um, But for the purposes of this, I'm not talking about like us chatting with Jeff Johns. I'm talking about stuff that specifically has to do with comics, your memories of something that involves you and comics. They don't have to be from when you were a child either. 
Okay, three, cool. you said, right? That was my question. Three. Yeah, let's do three. Okay. Um, I got my three because I was thinking about these. Cool. Uh, chat. Yeah, sorry. Go on. Um, I assume you would say chat if you have your three. Yeah. Please share. Um, the first one is going to be, I was huge into Bionicles. And um, they, uh, and I was huge sucker for it, all of it. And I found out after subscribing to Lego, uh, Lego Power or Le- the Lego whatever it was, they came along with DC published Bionicle comics, and those are some of the first things that I read that helped continue the narrative for me because I was such a big fan of the Bionicle story and the individual characters and. Like I was on online watching like the whatever early videos that they had about those guys. And so to see this and to see this whole story play out was really cool for me because then as as a kid, I would play and play into the stories that were being told from the comics. And so they helped elevate my playing experience, but also gave me a chance to um, just be introduced to the medium in a different way through something that I already had a such a passion for. Um, another one is, uh, and I think about this one often because it left such a significant impact. Um, Sean, I think you, I think you read Providence. Yeah. Alan Moore, Jack is So good. Um, there's this one panel and I remember I was in, an, I was in my basement, um, just hanging out on like a sofa reading. And it was just one turn page, like one one turn of the page, and there's just this terrifying image that ties in this larger concept that Moore was talking about that has been rendered incredibly by Burroughs. And immediately, the biggest chill went down my spine, and I just felt afraid. And I sat there. I'm like, I'm in a basement. Fuck. I need – oh, shit. Like, I need to <laughs> I need to go back out and, and see sunlight. Um and I remember putting it down and then walking upstairs. I'm just like, I need a break from this. And that had not happened to me at that point with comics. And so to be that afraid of a book fascinated ter- and terrified me. And I, to this day, remember that. Uh, wow. And then the other one I think is... Uh, it's actually it's 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 not swamp thing related and, uh, and frankly no i i thought i would have something there but um it's actually manga uh and it was peach girl which i read when i was much younger and i remember it being a romance story and one of the characters like broke up with somebody and i broke down into tears it was like what is like again it, this has affected me in this way and uh it was really nice it was really nice to like be to be able to feel that thing and it being brought about by comics those are my three memories that anytime i i think about any part of the medium they will enter my brain at some point awesome uh anyone else ready uh i'll just read one of the comments we got here uh, Bag of Ferrets says, my biggest was I was given a Marvel encyclopedia and learned about how vast a comic book universe is. Read through it in a month and used to talk a big game that I knew most of Marvel up to 2005, and then now I know nothing. 
<laughs> that's pretty Is much that how, how I goes? feel. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel most of the time. Thank uh, you for that. I can go. I can go. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go with my first, like one of my first core memories, and it's it's opening my dad's collection of comics. Um, and like reading those, and I, I think I would I was looking through those before I can even read, and and you know we're talking about like Claremont era X Men, like I have all the Dark Phoenix saga, like I remember really. Um, kind of glomming onto that cover of Cyclops holding Phoenix in his arms on that that uh, that giant size issue. Um, I remember really really uh thinking about that one and it stuck stuck with me. But even like and then I remember like the weird stuff like there was like an issue with Spider Man with Big Wheel and like as a kid I was like oh Big Wheel is cool this guy just he's on a giant wheel like I thought that shit was neat. Um, but that was cool and, you know like then my dad kind of got to like. You know, he, he showed me like uh, art that he did as as a kid of like co- like Marvel characters too. Like my grandma kept it, so that was like a cool thing to kind of uh, uh, have between me and him. Um, the other one would be in high school when I started reading comics myself. Um, it was right around tail end of World War Hulk, um, beginnings of Secret Invasion, and and the marketing around Secret Invasion was insane for me. Um, I, I used to go to this place called Squiggy's Dugout. Um, it's still around. It's a comic book shop. Um, but I remember like picking up those variant covers that were like scroll variants. Yeah. And I remember specifically accidentally getting one for Ghost Rider. And I'm like, oh, this Ghost Rider has green flames. I'm like, oh, wait, that's the scroll variant, you know? Um, and I just thought that huh. stuff was just awesome. Those were uh, horrifying, I, by the way. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, I love that stuff. And then I guess the other one would be um, probably one of my favorite con experiences, which was, uh, I don't know if you guys went to it, but it was the um, special edition New York Comic Con. It's the best New York Comic Con I've ever been to. Uh, it was in a pier where there were like uh, crab spiders everywhere. Um, There's wharf roaches everywhere. It was kind of gross because it was like right on the water, right on the, uh, the, the Hudson. Mm. But it was just so intimate. Like I was at a panel for the introduction of uh of Bendis's Iron Man run when he announced it, um, and there was like thirty like thirty people in that room, and Bendis was there. I got to talk to Scott Snyder a bit, you know. I got to I got my first um, uh, sketch done by uh, Ramon Perez. I got a Thanos by Ramon Perez, um, and that like really made me enjoy what like Artist Alley is going forward. So yeah. I met he who shall not be named at that event. So really, uh, you'd be oh, for wow. me. Yeah, I did. First, that's the first domino, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. That is absolutely the first domino that led to this. Um, yeah, let's read a couple more uh, comments. People sharing their their uh, their their first or their their core memories. Atomic Hound says, uh, recovering from surgery as an eight year old and reading Batman two thirty two, hooked for life. Nice. Uh, Aaron Ruiz says there's two big moments for me as a kid while reading a comic. My newspaper would always have little snippets of comics. So, you know, people remembering like the newspaper clippings and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Uh, Kingdom says uh, mine was picking up Tales of Sinestro Corpse number two because I thought it was a Superman in the cover. It was Superboy Prime. I was shocked with the idea of an actual reader being in the books. That's pretty cool. Dude, Superboy Prime blew my mind as an early comics reader, too. Kale? Um, 
I didn't know how to feel about Superboy Prime at the time. Um, my, I, I have some weird memories, I think. Um, <laughs> spill out some trauma. I, well, <laughs> this first one, remind me on a palin around and I'll explain the story around it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give that shit away for free. Uh, but my dad and I went on a, uh, a road trip from, uh, Kansas to Dallas. Um, and like I say, if you want the the backstory there, subscribe to Patreon, listen to the next pound around. Um, and on the way home, we picked I, the Identity Crisis graphic novel had just come out. Um, and I wasn't on the internet then. And uh, this may, you know, this was pre any you know mass platform discussion so i had no idea about like any anything that was going to happen in identity crisis i mean we barely knew what a crisis was um and i was 16 so my dad had me drive this whole trip so he read the book <laughs> and he got to the end and it got to the end of it and he was like do you want to know who who it was what happened I'm like no don't do that to me <laughs> Did he do it to you anyway? No, no, he didn't. Oh man, <clears throat> um, that was a big one. Uh, for the palin around reason. Uh, another one I have is uh with Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, when I the my very first uh books were Ultimate Spider-Man trades, <laughs> and uh, I used to man I carried those things around. Like I carry around my wallet when I was a kid. Like they went everywhere with me. So I was at a track meet, um, and I was reading one, and my best friend sat was sitting next to me, and somebody else on the team uh, looked over and and asked. I think I want to say it was volume four with the Green Goblin. Somebody asked, "Oh, did you guys make that?" You dumb middle schooler question. And my friend uh, pointed at the sketch of one of the background sketches of the goblin in the back. And he said, uh, uh, what he did was he read the the little background quote that Bagley gives about the cape that the goblin wears, something, something to the effect of it went more toga than cape or, or something. Read it, read it verbatim like he'd written it himself and it was a really cool moment where it was like we didn't make this maybe we could have <laughs> um, and then uh, my last one is um, on my prom the girl uh, that I went to prom with went to our local comic book shop and got me uh uh, in her prom dress and everything, picked up uh, the death of Gwen Stacy. Um, Ominous choice. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> listen. It's um, so cute. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal for me. Um, so you gave her the, what is it? The corsage, and she gave you a, a trade. A comic, yeah. 
I gave, well, I gave her, you know, death at the hands of a goblin. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> that's very romantic. <laughs> uh, so Aaron Ruiz says the second one was volume two of Venom by Cates, all the twists and turns, the study of Eddie Brock, a trade that I will always have in my mind. I, I didn't, did I finish? I didn't finish that, but that's cool. That's cool for you. Awesome. And I like that. Like, that's not a memory from when you were a child. That's a memory from pretty recent, but like yeah. it sticks with you when you think about comics. That's something you think about. I get that. Uh, for me, so uh, similarly to Tyler, um, Secret Invasion era, mine is pre-Secret Invasion. It is the shock that I felt seeing the dead body of Electra on that gurney and it and her being a scroll. Yeah. I. I remember having the book in my hand being like, what the fuck? Having to go back and reread because I was like, I clearly missed something. And then when it clicked for me, what that meant, I was like, oh man, this is crazy. I can't believe this. And that was huge. Um, Spider-Man taking off his mask in Civil War. Mm. As a kid, you know, um, you see the Spider-Man television show and his secret identity is so core to his being um, and coming into comics and knowing that same thing to be the truth. The idea that he took his mask off, I couldn't believe it. It, it, it really cemented the idea that Civil War mattered because someone did something that was so against their core values. And for it to have been Spider-Man. You know, who at my childhood was the only hero that mattered. Like, I loved everybody, but Spider-Man was the guy. For him to do that, I was like, you know, like, where is this going to go? Like, nothing is off the table mm-hmm. was how I felt. Um, And so that was huge. And then the last one was uh, the launch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics by Joss Whedon. Um, the seasons, right? Like the yes, seasons. season eight. Um. <laughs> Because those continued the story, right? Yes. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a lifeline show for me. It's something that I watch almost annually. If I'm not feeling great, it's a show that, you know, I I put on and, you know, it really just helps me, helped me through a lot of rough times, especially back then. And so um, when they announced that Buffy was not only coming back, because this is, this is 2007, 2000, between 2006 and 2008. Uh, Buffy had already been off air, and so I lost that, you know? And the fact that it was coming back, and it was coming back as a comic book, and it was going to be written by Joss Whedon, I was over the moon. So one of my favorite memories is getting that first issue. I still remember exactly what happens in it. I was so happy. Um, And, you know, those early Buffy comics were just as much of a lifeline for me as the show was. So those are my three. Did it, did it jump the shark for you when Angel and Buffy screwed in the sky and ruined magic? Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. We, the we same jumped the jump the shark moment for me as everybody else. Yep. Ruined magic? They fucked in the sky and destroyed the idea of magic. Wow. <laughs> it was so dumb. Yeah. It was so dumb. It was just Built one of those things where magic because they made. could do anything, yeah. a show that was always hamstrung by a budget, yeah. now having to not worry about that, Josh just went nuts. Um, and it was all so good up until that exact moment. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those are our core comics memories. I almost did five, but I was worried that this would take too long. Um, but I feel like everybody has those. Yeah. And so if you 
I would, we would love it if you would share yours. You know, um, write in, let us know what your core comics memories are, the things that stick out to you when you think about comics in general. Um, and as we close out, we can read a couple more as they pop up. Um, Bag of Ferret says, Death of Ultimate Spider-Man hit me hard as a kid, telling him he wasn't ready to be that kind of hero. A teen Spider-Man seeing his villains going to his home and looking at the bullet wound in his gut and making that choice. That was something else for me as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, that was huge. I'm, I'm remembering one of... Um, I was reading... I was commuting to school a lot, and so I was reading comics on the train in order to you know just pass the time. And so I'd have usually hour blocks. I remember one morning getting towards the end of one of the final books for um, Why the Last Man, and me just like I'm ready for this like for you know the series to end. I'm on like volume nine or ten of the total, and there's a part that happens uh, where a character dies. Then another character dies, and I wasn't ready for that. And I'm just in the train in the morning with a bunch of commuters. I happen to get like sit, and so I'm there like ugly crying, with a bunch of people being like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" And I'm just like, "Look at the thing, go, they're your friends." Yeah, that's funny. Um, I haven't had quite that experience, but I was reading um, what was that stupid book? Um, the the one the one with the the girl from hell or whatever who has all those powers that everybody was trying to kill purgatory must die oh, sorry yeah. i remember reading that book oh. on the train and i was getting looks too but for a different reason I was horned up on the train the cover. Jeez. i wasn't horned up jesus on, on um train feel me unbelievable <laughs> unreal thank you all so much for listening we appreciate you if you enjoyed this episode patreon.com slash the comics pals is where you can get a lot more of us if you are craving that, uh, you get access to our Palling Around show over there. You get access to our newsletters, which go out every single week. Um, it's not even the draw of the Patreon. It's just something that's supplemental. You get it every week, regardless of anything from one of us. Um, so check that out. You get the book club vote. You get to decide what books we do for the book club. Um, that is in the hands of the patrons. And uh, anything that we're doing ahead of time, anything that we're working on, you guys get early access to seeing all that stuff, which is really cool. And what I'm contemplating is sharing my process as I uncover the next deep dive that we're going to do, sharing that process as we gear up to release. I might just do that uh, over on Patreon. So something to look forward to, maybe. Yeah, and as you heard, you get a nickname and a shout out on the show. What could be better than that? Um, if you want to watch us live, you can do that every single Saturday at 10 15 a.m. Eastern, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Pulse. Um, watch Tyler's latest toy review. He got the uh, the 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 scroll, um, uh, the scroll that. pack, yeah, yeah Varanki, right? You got the scroll queen huh? slash Spider Woman. I just use and... her Spider Woman, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, um, and, that's uh, an Illuminati cool. scroll, super scroll, yeah, oh. that's sick. I I love Super Scroll. I don't know what See, anybody yeah. else's opinion oh, is, but no, Super Scroll rules. Thick. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which version because the idea is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Super Scrolls. Yeah. Um, Lazarus Book Club. I love Lazarus. Go listen to that. Go check that out. If you decide that you want to pick it up, we do have an Amazon uh, link in the description of the YouTube video. 
of the Lazarus Book Club. So head on over there, click that link. That'll put some money in our pocket, make us look good with uh, Billionaire Bezos. Our man. Not that he needs our money. Our not man. that he needs our help uh, to sell hold He's not our man. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't come from my mouth. That did not come from me. Uh, Discord. Join our Discord server. Everything else is in the description of anything we do and at the Comics Pals on all social platforms. Leave us a review, rating, follow, sub, anything you can do to support. We appreciate support is not just financial. We've got uh, 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 comments in uh, Spotify now, too. So um, if you're listening on Spotify, we can check those. If you want to leave them there, we can get them. Yep. Wherever you guys want to send them, we'll try to find them. Kale, let's, uh, let's hear your plugs. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals. You can find me at... Toto Into, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at killward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Uh, this week I uh, was my week for the newsletter on Patreon, um, and it's something I've been uh, toying around with. I found a uh, a playlist uh, RPG game uh, that is about uh, making a radio show. So I tried to make a, a, a radio show broadcast out of it um and uh i had a lot of fun with it um so it's uh it's about an hour long if i'm not mistaken um it's on the patreon um if you don't want to listen to me waffle on i also have a link to the playlist on spotify um but i only know like four bands and they're in the playlist so i don't know what the next one's gonna look like (laughs) but uh, i had i had a lot of fun doing it so uh hopefully uh i can do it again nice um bag of ferret thank you so much for the uh subscription over on twitch really appreciate that bud uh thank you for the uh compliments classy atomic uh yeah you guys should like and share the video if you're enjoying it thank you thank you for saying that appreciate you marco what do you have to say uh thank you so much for tuning into another episode i'm uh what am I doing? What am I up to? Licking your wounds from the AI talk. Licking my wounds. Hmm. Okay. Uh, follow me at Mr. Marco Nemoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I actually prompted ChatGPT to write me an outro for a podcast that discusses comic books and pop culture. I will read a selection of uh, from it now. Uh, we couldn't have done it without our incredible listeners. Your passion and dedication to this vibrant community inspire us to keep exploring and celebrating the magic. Nice, nice. That was pretty rude. Not was gonna lie. Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you noticed, but I, 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 I put a really good prompt in. Didn't even need to add a period. It was, you know, and I, mis- it was, and I misspelled culture. It was decent content. <laughs> I misspelled culture, and it still understood what I meant. Talk to me about AI. There might be a thing about a post that I do in a future newsletter about it. Been working on something in the background. So uh, come talk to me about that shit. Better not Violet. be on our fucking website. <laughs> Sorry, Midtown Management told me I got to leave. I'm, I'm running out of my uh, my, my time here. Um, you can follow minutes. me <laughs> at the Tyler Olson on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, yeah, watch my uh, my Secret Invasion 2-pack video that I put up on YouTube. Um, some some different, different content. Uh, or was that art? I don't know. Um, but you can check that out. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I got.
you know, if you spend time in Midtown um, on nights and weekends, it's actually, they don't count against your minutes. Oh, good to know. And if you start, if you, if you ask, if you let that guy know and give him a good recommendation, they start to pay you. Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. <laughs> Hit me up to talk about backlash tonight with your predictions. If you're going to be watching, uh, I am all Cody. Cody's got a win tonight against Brock. Uh, can't wait for that. And then uh, hang out with us. Oh, and I'll also be watching UFC tonight. And then hang out with us tomorrow for our Guardians of the Galaxy 3 review, which will be premiering on YouTube. Um, stay tuned time? for when that goes up. Uh, what's that, Tyler? What time should we just said? What time is the premiere? Do we agree on that yet? Um, let's do one. That was one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so come hang out with us for that at 1 p.m. And if you are not there, it will be out everywhere else. Um, Monday. When? Monday. Monday by 10. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. I'm happy to be back. We'll see you guys next week for the Comics Pals. Until then, take care, guys. See you next week.